This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, September 22, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. In attempting to prevent a future meltdown of the financial sector, what should banks be required to do? And if the solution to making banks less subject to dramatic market swings is more capital, at what cost should banks be expected to hold this capital? Peter Van Doren, Cato Institute Senior Fellow and Editor of Regulation Magazine, comments on how Basel III may influence the next financial crisis. A long time ago, the people who owned banks, often the rich white guys in the room, if, if stuff went wrong and their institution was threatened, they were on the hook personally to keep the institution going from their personal wealth. And in some sense, that was the buffer against uh, an institution failing. If they chose to do that, but in fact, lots of times they didn't, and then banks failed. I mean, bank bank failures have been a part of uh, U.S. society um, since its inception, and it was the, the, the only period in which we haven't had lots and lots of bank failures um, is the post-FDIC era in which, um, at least for a period of... 30, 40, 50 years, um, the government-guaranteed deposit system seemed to suppress bank failure, and and we had a vigorous, robust financial system as well. And so it looked like, um, to the outside observer from Mars, that in fact we had solved a problem and and uh, through government policy and everything was fine. But everything, in fact, was was not fine, only we didn't know it. So fast forward to Basel, that is uh, a committee that provides standards for bank regulation, essentially. It's, a, it's an international consortium of advanced countries, the OECD countries, that uh, f- it tried to form an agreement on so-called capital standards what what lay people can think of as the financial cushion one should have in case bad stuff happens. Um, the the first Basel one occurred after the U.S. savings and loan debacle. So prior to 1981, basically, U.S. banks, even under the regulated FDIC system, had no capital standards. That, that's what's interesting. But in fact, banks were were bank charters were worth so much. Because entry into banking was restricted and arbitrage around banking regulations had not yet occurred, that owning a bank was very valuable. So owners of banks actually didn't take many risks on their own um, because, in fact, they would lose, they would lose considerable amounts of wealth and they um, quite wisely chose not to do so. So we actually didn't have capital standards until the... SNL debacle took place, which was the first, in effect, dent in the armor of the regulated deposit insurance world. So in lieu of uh, a capital standard, we had a an asset that was government-created. You had a limited entry system uh, where entry was regulated. You had to have a charter from the government to run a bank. And those charters were limited enough and valuable enough um, such that the owners of banks, um, with some exceptions, basically um, didn't push the system to its limit. Okay, so fast forward now again to... We're now up to Basel III. Basel III, which 
is what? Whenever financial crises occur, um, the conclusion is that the capital standards, i.e. the amount of cushion that banks have on hand to absorb uh, financial shocks, that cushion, whatever it was last time, was too small. And it's a reasonable, I mean, it, it, it's a reasonable th way of thinking in that um, households have cash and, and short-term uh, assets on hand in case financial shocks hit. I know I have a savings buffer, and you do too, and most everyone else that's listening to this has some amount of stuff on hand that can be quickly liquidated in case unemployment or a car crash or other unexpected things occur. And whenever, in effect, we go through a financial crisis and financial institutions go bankrupt, we conclude that we need more on hand, uh, given that the buffer we had uh, last time was inadequate. Under Basel II, banks had to have 2% uh, in common equity and total capital on hand was 8%. That is, out of every um, $100 that were loaned out, $8 had to be set aside and kept in reserve in case that loan and or other loans did not go well. And what Basel III does is raise the composition of capital from to be more equity, to have a common equity be 4.5%. And the total capital requirement goes from 8 to 10.5. So it's, it's not a major change. It's an incremental increase over what we had before. From the perspective of a bank, and in turn, the bank's customers, that is a tax. Right. It, banks see this as a drag on their earnings. It's money set aside that can't do anything. It's just kept in the... It's kept somewhere safe, uh, and we'll go on to talk about that, uh, so that it can be used in emergencies. And after times get good and stable for a long enough time, memories of previous crises fade, and then everyone begins to chafe at the money that's left in the drawer. They say, oh, come on, Dad. I don't, you know, nothing's happened in a long time. Can I buy the new stereo? And... It's. I don't see any bad guys or good guys in this. This is human nature, and it's very difficult to create um, memories that are long-lived enough to make everyone risk-averse enough to say that, aha, you just don't remember how bad it was. We need to actually keep all that stuff in the drawer even though you don't think so. And so what happens is, um, and what happened in the United States, was that arbitrage occurred around uh, capital requirements over time. And that's what uh, Gary Gordon and other scholars refer to as the so-called shadow banking system, which is a, a system in which short-term uh, corporate and government and uh, the, the, uh, the cash of large institutions, be they public or private, was invested in um, so-called overnight repurchase agreements, and which backed all the so-called securitization that, you, that our listeners may have heard about mortgage securitization, car loan securitization, et cetera, et cetera. So by uh, 2008, when the crash occurred, two-thirds of lending in the United States was completely outside the regulated banking system and was instead in this shadow banking system. And only a third was in the banking system. And that's at least what I find ironic, that the Basel capital requirements are, are in effect trying to uh, regulate a 
increasingly small part of the lending uh, activity. You mentioned put that money in a safe place. That is, the capital that banks are supposed to set aside should be set aside into something that is secure, that is liquid, and that is not uh, volatile. So well, what, that from where, a, where, where has it been and where should it be? From a libertarian point of view, the ironic uh, side effect of even privately um, agreed to capital standards is the issue of what what should this cushion be invested in? And of course, the safest thing, ironically, are government treasury bonds. And to the extent the government then uses the money for consumption rather than investment, even um, a Cato-approved, sort of privately agreed to cushion, if you will, um, might end up indirectly supporting the growth of government. And so it's... it's Because uh, think of the alternatives. One could invest in... S&P 500 or any one of a number of, of indexed bonds or stocks or something like that. And, but when shocks hit, the market value of all those things goes down drastically as everyone heads for the exits and tries to cash in their investments to turn it into cash. Remember, the, the Dow went from 11,000-something to 6,500, and that, that means your cushion isn't a cushion anymore. And so the only way to make sure the, the face value stays constant is to invest in treasuries, and then treasuries indirectly uh, or directly induce the growth of government. So on these capital standards, going from 8% to 10%, at the end of the day, does that matter? Oh, it ma I mean, I think you earlier you said... Um, as these standards are implemented, this has to reduce the money supply because, in effect, all the amount invested in banks, a smaller percentage of it is going to be loaned out. That, in turn, is going to, at the margin, mean that some investment activity that was going to be supported by loans is not, et cetera, et cetera. So Bill Niskanen, the chairman emeritus of Cato, uh, concluded some time ago uh, in his research that the um, Gulf War I recession was in fact uh, uh, the product of the implementation of capital standards from Basel I. And, and the, so reputable leading economists um, have, have concluded that the implementation or, of changes, increases in capital standards will have uh, effects on GDP growth just by reducing the amount of money that can be uh, lent. At the end of the day, there is a balance that has to be struck, even though we're not clear what the precise trade-off is between uh, future growth and what we want banks to hold back as a buffer against unforeseen, uncertain circumstances. Correct. I mean, in a nutshell, you said it as, as well or better than I can. And, and so I won't repeat what you just said, because that's, uh, yes, I mean, and there is no right answer. I mean, there is no set of papers out there that says, here's the right cash reserve to hand on, have on hand to absorb um, a shock, because we actually don't, there is no technical answer to that question. So what is the United States looking at, given what Basel III will hand down? The innovation that academics have been promoting uh, is the use in the capital structure of banks, uh, something called catastrophe bonds, which are, instead of traditional debt or traditional equity, 
these would be debt-like instruments that would have, uh, through contract, the property that they would be converted to equity if certain benchmark um, macroeconomic indicators indica- said that we are in a bad sort here and we, and we need to um, do something about the capital structure of banks. So if unemployment rates or LIBOR rates or you know, whatever set of indicators you want indicate that in the financial sector is having a crisis, then the debt portion of the capital structure of banks would convert to equity. And um, <clears throat> this is an important innovation that I haven't seen before that I think um, the Basel III couldn't agree on it across countries, so, but, but it is recommended that each country consider this, and the U.S. is actively considering making a component of each bank's, particularly the systemically important banks, the, the city banks and banks of America of the world, that those banks have a, as a part of their capital structure an explicit catastrophe bond-like component, um, which has the properties that, that I described. But what they're trying to capture in issuing, in promoting this kind of bond, what they're trying to capture is uh, a likelihood of repayment dropping below some certain threshold and therefore converts to equity and then gives that uh, new owner some skin in the game of whether or not this institution succeeds? Is that the idea? It's it's more, uh, it's, it's that, it's it's to give a, a monitoring a set of eyes and ears, so-called delegated monitors, um, which you learn about in business school in, in a finance class. That you want eyes and ears um, to be on the bank uh, to to monitor its activity. But I think that's a smaller component. It's literally just to have a a through contract a cushion. That's a, a different kind of cushion than we had before, which is something in good times seems like a bond, and the person gets paid interest and, and has a reasonable expectation of return of principal. But they understand that it's not like a regular bond, and that if um, macroeconomic indicators become a certain level, this bond is no longer a bond, and instead it, you do not, are not guaranteed repayment of principal, and you're now part of the equity structure of, of a bank. And this provides um, additional cushions so that the bank can survive any given financial shock. Peter Van Doren is editor of Regulation Magazine. He is also a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. You can read and subscribe to Regulation at Cato.org.